Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations about books, publishing, and of course, our annual prizes. Our guests include the finalists and winners of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, and organizers and book enthusiasts from across the province and territory. Now, this is our last episode of season two. At the beginning of May, I will be back again with conversations from our 2021 shortlisted authors. The shortlist will be announced in April, and I can't wait to see which books appear on the lists. If you want to get the latest news about those shortlists, give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For this episode, I checked in with Angie Abdu. I first met Angie almost 10 years ago when I was a reporter for the Free Press in Fernie, BC. Angie's book, The Bone Cage, had been selected as a finalist for Canada Reads in 2011, and I interviewed her for the paper. It's funny how things come together because the day we talked was the last day of this year's Canada Reads, when Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead was announced as the winner. As you'll hear in my conversation with Angie, in some ways she feels she's closer to the Alberta writing community given that Fernie is less than an hour from the Alberta border. But instead of me telling you all about Angie and what she does, why don't I pass it over to her and she can tell you a little bit about herself. My name is Angie Abdu and I'm a writer. My first book I published in 2006 was Anything Boys Can Do, a collection of short stories. And then I published my first novel, The Bone Cage in 2007. I'm now about to publish my eighth book, This One Wild Life, which is a memoir about um, getting outdoors with my family and other things, but that's the premise. And it will be out with ECW Press in April. Um, I guess my but my, my celebrity moment as a writer was The Bone Cage was on Canada Reads in 2011. So that was my 15 moments of fame. It was very exciting. And other than that, I have been involved. I'm a university professor at Athabasca University. So I teach creative writing there. I'm a book columnist uh, for Daybreak Alberta. I review an Alberta book every month with Russell Bowers on um, yeah, CBC's Daybreak Alberta. And I do whatever I can to promote books and write about books. My academic interest is sport literature. So I sometimes write books with sports in them. But when I'm writing academically, I almost always write about books that involve sport. And that's me. I live in Fernie, BC. And so how long have you been in Fernie, Angie? I've been off and on because my job is in Alberta. So I'm also there a lot. And I've moved, I guess, when I, I've always been back and forth. I started coming here around 1998. So that's an alarming time, a long time ago. Was that 22 years or something? My goodness, 23. Um, but I always, you know, I, I taught at Nipissing in North Bay, or I had a job in Calgary and commuted and came to Fernie on the weekends. I've always been kind of back and forth. And then I say I've been here fairly steady for 15 years. Yeah, it's uh, my husband will not live anywhere else. He loves skiing and loves mountain biking. And this is, he's committed to life in Fernie, and I'm committed to life with him. <laughs> so here we are. And it's a beautiful town. You've been to Fernie. I know. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. What drew you and your family there initially? My husband came, we met on the swim team, the varsity swim team at University of Western Ontario in London. And his parents had moved here when he was just before he went into grade 13. So he had spent some summers in Fernie lifeguarding at the outdoor pool and he had spent one season skiing. So when he finished university, he decided he was going to come and ski bum for a year. 
that was in 1996. And towards the end of that year, I decided I was going to come visit him for a week. And so <laughs> we are, here we are 25 <laughs> years later in a mortgage and two kids. So I guess, I guess that was a good week. What else can I say? Well, it's not a bad place to be either if you are very sport-focused, as, as you were saying. I mean, it's got so much going that way. Oh, it's a beautiful place to be right now. I almost hate to tell people who are living in cities. I feel like I'm bragging, but I mean, there is a never-ending trail system right out my door. I can be there and not even know COVID exists, no mask, no people, beautiful, beautiful scenery everywhere I look that just makes me feel lucky to be on this beautiful planet. So it's a very good place to be. Yeah. And how do you describe Frenny to folks who haven't been there or maybe have only driven through on their way to Calgary or Vancouver? Obviously the scenery, but there's a mm -hmm. pretty special culture there in the community too. It's, I mean, it's a, a strange community because on one hand, it's first and foremost a coal mining town, right? Coal mining supports this town, metallurgic coal that's used to make steel. There's five big coal mines in the area operated by Tech Coal and that's where most people make their living and it's become a very popular destination as a tourist town also because it's so beautiful so it's funny we have people living here and coming here because it's gorgeous but then a lot of people make their living by mining which is at odds with that sort of mentality you think although i mean tech is very proud of its sustainable program and that it doesn't you know that everybody does want to live here and they want it to continue to be beautiful and they want there to continue being fish in our river so yeah, it's a coal mining town that's also now a tourist town. So where 20 years ago or 15 years ago, we didn't have a lot in the way of restaurants. And if you wanted to find something to eat after eight o'clock, you were probably out of luck. The restaurants were closed. The grocery store was closed. It was nothing. And now we have very delicious restaurants and very nice coffee shops and nice bars. And it's very kind of trendy. It's like the next Canmore or something. It's, we get a lot of Albertan tourists because we're about an hour from the border. A lot of Calgarians have second homes so homes here. It's becoming quite upscale, whereas it used to be for a while a bit of a dirt bag, <laughs> a dirt bag coal mining town with ski bums. You could buy a house for nothing. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I moved to Nelson, because when I was living in Fruity, it was like right around the time when the chocolate shop had just opened and the cheese shop. And I was like, oh, I'm leaving like right when all these like really cool little city business it felt like the city was coming to fernie right as i was leaving yeah. yeah yeah that's exactly a good way to describe it the city has come yeah which comes with benefits i mean we can complain all we want but we also like having a nice it's funny like when people live in a beautiful place they want to pretend that the door closed as soon as they got there right like this is my place as if i also didn't come from somewhere else and discover it and find it beautiful and want to stay so everybody wants to close the door after them and then objects to the continuing influx and the continuing changes so you hear people complain about too many second homeowners or too many Albertans or whatever people want to complain about, but we all love the restaurants and we all love the expanded ski hill and we all love the coffee shops and we won't have that without the people to support it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's kind of those, uh, the perks that come with it, but then we don't want to share it with anyone once, <laughs> once we have it. Yeah. 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 I and mean, we, you do notice, I mean, the ski hill's busier than it used to be. The trails are busier than they used to be. The river is busier than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing I remember too, is just how the population really changed in Fernie too. Like the, in the winter, it's, 
I'm sure it was different this winter, but it really expands and there's so many more people. But then I really liked the spring and summer because it was kind of, it felt like it was more just for the people who were there, which was kind of special. I loved the summer. Just everybody went home and you just have the whole place to yourself, the rivers, the mountains, the trails. It was gorgeous. And now it's become quite a mountain biking destination and quite a fly fishing destination and quite a hiking destination. So it's not quiet in the summer anymore either. And then we would talk about the shoulder seasons being quiet, the spring and the fall. But I think even that is changing. It just feels busier. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, uh, I know I've read your work and in many ways, it seems like your um, your life and what you experience in the Kootenays and Inferni has influenced your work. But is it how have you seen that happen with um, your creative process and the books that you write? I, I still remember when I read The Bone Cage and you wrote about the cowboy trail and I was I have driven that stretch of road so many times that I could imagine that so vividly. Yes, I like, I was, when I grew up reading, I loved reading, I would read anything I could get. And I liked the women autobiographical writers, like the ones that you could tell they were writing fairly close to their own life, whether it's uh, Margaret Lawrence or Margaret Drabo, all the Margarets, not Margaret Atwood, <laughs> she's not as autobiographical, but I like those, that kind of literary writing by women that was clearly inspired by autobiography. And so I always try to write what I like to read. So when I started writing, I also drew heavily on my life and my places. And I sometimes ran into objections about that. You know, people would say, oh, it'll sell better if you said it in the States or it'll sell better if you said it at least in one of the major Canadian cities. But I really wanted to write the places that I knew and the places I was from. Someone said, um, you know, you read, you look for yourself in literature to know that you exist, almost as if a book, when someone writes about the places you know, or the kinds of people, you know, they're holding up a mirror and saying, look, you exist, and it's reconfirming your existence for you. So if you read, and you only see New York, or you only see Toronto, then you feel like, well, maybe you don't exist, or maybe your existence isn't significant, or at least it certainly isn't worthy to write about. So I always loved reading the prairie writers, the Carol Shields, and Margaret Lawrence, and Sharon Butella and um, Bonnie Bernard is where I could see my prairie existence um, shown to me and feel like oh, that's my people and that's my place and that's worth writing about. So for the boat in the bone cage, for example, that scene that you're talking about where the two main characters are driving from um, Calgary to Fernie, I really wanted to put it on that stretch and an editor kept saying to me, well, it didn't really seem I had to convince her that they would be going there. She's like, why don't you just put it on Deerfoot? Because it was set in Calgary. Why don't you put it in? And I really, for reasons I don't even understand, I wanted it to be on that road. So I had to rework and rework and rework to convince my editor that they would be on that road. And maybe it's because I had never seen it in fiction and because it's such a beautiful, unique place. And I have said, I have some kind of emotional, visceral response to it that I wanted to capture. So it's funny that you remember that. That book's so old. And I did. I, that was a fight to get that cowboy trail in there. So I'm glad, I'm glad you appreciated it. Maybe it was for you. It was for one reader. <laughs> it's always stuck with me for some reason. Whenever I, I think of that that book and I think I remember that scene because I just my uh, my ex-boyfriend lived in Calgary and my cousin lives in Calgary. And so I often drove from Fernie to Calgary along the cowboy trail. And I remember having like all sorts of strange thoughts about how it wasn't safe to be out on that road by myself in my Toyota Corolla and what could happen out there. And yeah, and it's not very safe, right? It's quite a dangerous stretch of highway. And a lot of it, you're out of range, a cell range. So if something happens, you can't really get in touch and you don't know who's going to come along to help you. And 
yeah maybe that's part of what attract because you know what happens on that road in the book so maybe that's part of what made me want it to happen there yeah 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 how is living in Inferni um shaped like the way you write in your actually actual writing practice I I mean that's changes with every book I think having kids has changed my writing practice more than not more than um where I live because I always have to like I used to have a rule that I had to write a certain number of pages I think it was three before I carried on with my day and I'm very much a writer that momentum matters too I don't have to write a lot but if I'm working on a project I need to write every day so that it's in my head and my imagination continues to work on it and I don't have to have that struggle to get to the page every day it's just not optional I show up so once I had kids you know you can't just tell them just hold on until I write my three pages, obviously. So I had to always try to find where to find that daily spot to write. And that has evolved and changed as they get older. But, um, and then in terms of, I, I'm very, you know, I write about Fernie and this area and its people in fiction or nonfiction. That's kind of what I'm always writing about. And it's hard because the town is quite small, like 5,000 or 6,000 people. And so I, sometimes find myself under um, scrutiny. I sometimes find myself the subject of hostility even, you know, if people don't like what I've written or don't understand it or, or disagree with it. Um, people get very agitated and it's not like in a city where you have anonymity or, um, yeah, I don't have any anonymity. I go to the grocery store and I can get yelled at if people don't like my book, even if they haven't read my book and they've heard from someone that I said something that they perceived as negative and it can get really unpleasant. Um, but I haven't really let that affect me. Maybe I'm just not that smart. I just carry on doing what I do. And I think it's because early on in my writing, someone told me you can't censor yourself. If you censor yourself, there's no point. So you really have to put the audience out of your mind when you sit down to the page. And I'm, uh, it turns out I'm quite good at that. I don't think about what how anyone is gonna react when I'm writing it to the extent that when I first see it on a shelf, a book, I have a bit of a panic attack. Like, oh my gosh, people are going to read this. Like they're going to be so mad. <laughs> so it doesn't occur to me until that point. So, um, which is how I can continue, I guess, to write and live in a place this small. And I have developed a thick skin. Um, the, and how I've developed the thick skin is also related to where I live. I really take a lot of solace and restoration from the wilderness. So every day I'm out in the trails and looking at the beautiful mountains and the beautiful forest and it makes all this human squabble seem so insignificant. Like you look up at this big beautiful mountain that has been there forever and will be there forever and you think, that mountain doesn't care that so-and-so is mad at me. <laughs> that mountain doesn't think I'm a jerk because I wrote this one thing in this one paragraph. And it just makes it, for me, it puts it all in perspective. So I've really learned to turn to nature as part of my process and uh, self-preservation. Yeah. I still remember getting yelled at in the grocery store when I worked at the Free Press for things I'd written. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this place is way too small. <laughs> So I don't understand. Yeah. I don't, I really, I honestly don't understand it. I'm not pretending that I don't understand it. Like, so if someone wrote something that you don't agree with, you don't have to, it doesn't have to make you angry. Like you're allowed to have your own opinion that's different than that person's opinion. I don't understand yeah. the yelling in public and the freaking out and the riling people up on social media. I just, I really don't understand it. Yeah. You? It's almost easier. Maybe you can no. explain it to me. <laughs> I don't understand it. I almost liked it. I almost think I like it more in the, you know, in the freezer section of the grocery store than online. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, because online people do it in a way that they would never do it face to face. Like nobody would walk up to you in the grocery store and say, 
you're a jerk. You shouldn't have said that. Or, you know, but, but people do that online all the time. People, they, you know, there's no preamble or no exit or entry. It's just like scream in yeah. your face and go, okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think with the grocery store, there's like, there's a beginning and end to it. Like, you know, you can walk away from it and yeah, you might feel crappy about it for a little bit afterwards, but it's not going to continue day after day the way it can online. And I guess if someone approaches you in the grocery store, there's a, a chance that they want some dialogue. Like if they didn't want to talk to you or hear what you have to say, they would just pretend they didn't see you and walk the other way. So if they approach you, they want to be heard and they're at least maybe open to hearing what you have to say in response. Whereas in online, so often it's just a attack. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we officially started recording, we were talking about how you miss your, your literary community and how you traveled so much and, and got to see people. Um, can you talk a little bit about the literary community in the Kootenays? I think it's kind of special in the fact that it's so spread out, but it also feels very close at the same time. It's funny you should ask because just yesterday I had lunch, which I have not been doing at all, but I had lunch with um, Darren Collier, who is a mystery writer from Nelson. So she was doing a writing retreat in uh, Cranbrook because she had to take some days off because her employer said, I know it's COVID, but you haven't taken days off forever. You need to. So she got out of her house to go write. So we did the socially distanced lunch outside and I haven't seen it was so nice to see her so she's from Nelson not very close by Ontario standards or anywhere it's a three and a half hour drive but I consider her part of my community in the Kootenays and we have yeah Darren is in Nelson and Rosnay and Tom Wayman and Anna Grace I mean I could name dozens of writers who live in Nelson and I consider that part of my community and Bruce Kirkby and Kimberly and David Butler and Cranbrook. And so we do kind of, it's all one big group. And we had a little while ago at the Fernie Library, there's a series I run called Booked. And we had a little conversation with Bruce Kirkby, who just published a book um, about traveling to his family to a monastery in the Himalayas. And on, what is it? The, the Blue Sky Kingdom. I couldn't think of the name, Blue Sky Kingdom. And then David Butler, who writes mysteries, um, sort of based on his experience as an environmentalist and outdoor photographer and often set in parks, Canadian parks. So I interviewed them about what it's like living in the Kootenays and, um, you know, how, what kind of writing community they have and local readership. And it was, it was fun just to be reminded though, we're not seeing each other at all. <laughs> we're still, we're still all there ready to reconvene when this is over. And I also do have a little local writing group, um, about five writers, right in Fernie who, before COVID, we were meeting once a month and sharing work. We didn't always share work, but talking about what we were reading and what we were working on and what kind of problems we had. So that's that's really important. I mean, it's important anywhere, but I think more so in these remote areas where there's not as much of an organized writer community or it's not as obvious where the writer community is or, you know, um, I always think of if you live in a city, you have more immediate access to festivals and to publications and to CBC studios and to all that kind of the machinery of the writing business part of it. And remotely, we don't. I'm three hours from the closest CBC studio. I know because I go drive there quite often, but I'm, you know, I'm not um, right in the middle of it. So it's good to support each other out, out here on the margins. Yeah. And Fernie's pretty, I was always really taken by the fact that it has such a great independent bookstore. The library is so fantastic. Like I think we forget in small communities that there are these like beating hearts of the literary community that really keep people organized and engaged. And Fernie really has that. 
Yeah, and Polar Peak Books is an excellent bookstore, and the Fernie Heritage Library with the director Emma Dressler is a beautiful building. It's got to be one of the most beautiful libraries in the country. And the views, I mean, I, I can't imagine a library with more stunning views. So we're very proud of our library. We also have a really active museum, the Fernie Museum. And right now it has the whole top floor is dedicated to Fernie writers. It has a display. So I'm in a museum. I'm officially very old. <laughs> when I go in and see my face in a museum, I know, I know I'm old. So um, yeah, there's a lot of support, even though it's such a sporty town. People used to say that Nelson was uh, like kind of the cool hippie big sister and Rossland is the young jock brother or no Fernie's the young jock brother I can't remember how it all goes but they sorry that was a muddled analogy but Fernie's very sporty was going to be the end conclusion but I think what I don't think I know it's really developing culturally as well lots of great music great museum great library great bookstore great writing series so yeah yeah as you say the beating heart of the arts is here for sure yeah and how do you see Fernie in terms of like the whole, you, I know you read a lot, and but how does Fernie fit in, do you think, with the whole BC writing community? Yeah, so I honestly, in some ways, I think Fernie should be part of the Alberta writing scene. We're so far <laughs> from Vancouver. Like if you think of BC writing scene, you think of Vancouver. And what's Fernie is a 12-hour drive from Vancouver and a three-hour drive from Calgary. I'm less than an hour from the Alberta border. So sometimes I just wish that border looped around and looped me into Alberta because I do do, like I do a monthly um, book column on on the Alberta or Alberta CBC, and I host a festival in Fort McLeod, which is in Alberta. And I, you know, I work in Alberta, and so and I feel much more tied into Alberta writers because I live closer. So it's a challenge as far as the BC writing community is to be so far from Vancouver. Um, but I have published in Vancouver, as you've mentioned, Arsenal. I published two books with Arsenal, and they're very uh, progressive. They do a lot of important social justice kind of work, and they're very supportive of the writers. It was wonderful to see two Arsenal books get on Canada Reads. What a miracle that was, a finalist, a final two, and then have um, Joshua Whitehead, who's currently the writer-in-residence where I work at Athabasca, have him win. That's just fantastic. So there's a lot going on in Vancouver. And... Um, how would I describe it different than Toronto or different than, I'm not sure. I think, I mean, I think for so long we would turn to Toronto as that's the center of Canadian publishing. And it does seem like it's getting a bit more diverse with, you know, Douglas and McIntyre is also in Vancouver and there's, I could name dozens and dozens of writers in Vancouver who are doing well. So it's a, it's a vibrant, I know when I do go to Vancouver, I have no shortage of people to catch up with and visit. So and UBC's program is pumping out so many great writers and has a great faculty. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's true what you said about Fernie. You know, it, officially it's part of BC, but it does definitely sit, have more in common in some ways with the Al Alberta neighbors. And, mm. and uh, I, you know, even as I was saying, I drove to Calgary so often. I, was, I yep. think I went to Vancouver once when I was living in Fernie. Yeah, you was... almost have to fly it so far. And then I think we even like had to fly into Calgary to fly to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even time zone, Fernie is on the Alberta time zone. Yeah. In fact, if you, if the border was a straight line, Fernie would be on the Alberta side of it, but the border does this funny kind of loop around the mountain. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like my professional life would be easier if they could just change that border, but I'm having no luck. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I mean, I guess if you think about BC is, um, 
a little hippie and a little sporty and a little mountainy and outdoory and nature loving, all those sort of themes apply to my work and, and um, to a certain brand of BC writer who I respond to. Thanks so much to Angie for being on the podcast. And thanks, as always, to you, our listeners, for subscribing and listening to Writing the Coast. As I mentioned, this is our last episode of the second season of Writing the Coast. But don't worry, we'll be back with lots of new interviews about our new shortlisted books. If you want to learn more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. We'll also be announcing our 2021 shortlist via our website in April. And we're always sharing stuff on our social media too, including information about events like our storied series. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to season two of Writing the Coast.